You are listening to Talking Star Wars. Alright, Talking Star Wars fans, we're going to jump into our review of Kenobi. So Kenobi was what I thought would be my favorite Star Wars show ever. Um, I've been waiting for it for years. Ewan McGregor reprising his role as Obi-Wan, set during the period where he's protecting Luke. Um, and it is not what I thought it would be. It is different. It is not bad. But it was another show affected by um, shooting restrictions during the COVID-19 pandemic. So we have to go into it with that understanding. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it was an, in an interesting writer's choice. It becomes another Wolf and Cub story, with the Cub being a young Leia Organa, and the wolf mm-hmm. being a traumatized Obi-Wan Kenobi. And it's okay. I'm just growing sick of it because it's a current in The Mandalorian, in The Bad Batch, in, uh, you know, looking to other media in Logan. Uh, they're setting it up for the Thor universe in the MCU. The Last of Us. The Last of Us. It's just, it's it's too much of the similar but for Star Wars, if you know, given time, separated away from the fact that it's been just happening in media so frequently, uh, it works well because we do have interaction between Leia, uh, the cub in this scenario. And it's about ten years old at this point. And the the actress they got, I thought, portrayed that youthful Leia well, where she has an attitude, where she is uh, very inquisitive, uh, saucy. Ah. Inquisitors are the primary antagonists. <laughs> <laughs> See Connor making puns as he realize. Yeah. Uh, can you tell this is not our first recorded episode of the day? But I, I enjoy that dynamic between the two. And it just, it, it, in your head, in your canon, it helps to set up that there is some background relationship between Leia and Kenobi. And she serves as a great motivator for him having to confront his relationship with both Anakin and Padme. And uh, seeing that, you know, as a result of his failure in handling Anakin, uh, Leia is an orphan. You know, she's without her true birth parents and has been, you know, isolated because of that. Yeah, so so Kenobi's only six episodes. We won't belabor the point too much about it. Our overall, overall assessment of... It tells the story of Obi-Wan Kenobi ten years before the Battle of Yavin. So... You know, 10 to 12 years after the rise of the Empire, depending on where you put the rise of the Empire, uh, subsisting on Tatooine in de- pretty desperate in, uh, circumstances, having lost his connection to the Force and feeling fairly or hopeless on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. He then is called away to have to rescue Leia Organa, the other child in his charge, other than Luke Skywalker, after she is kidnapped. Not because she is Anakin Skywalker's daughter, but because she is the adopted daughter of Bail Organa, Senator of Alderaan. Being kidnapped... That will draw the attention of Obi-Wan Kenobi because the, uh, I would say, primary villain of this series is uh, uh, Reva, the, one of the sisters of the Inquisitors. Yeah, one of the only ones who retains a name other than just being addressed by a numerical sister, mm-hmm. which is a sign of her unique status as a Padawan who survived Order 66 mm-hmm. and actually witnessed Anakin Skywalker killing everyone she ever loved. Mm-hmm. Which, well. <laughs> go would fuck anyone up, right? Right. But she she wants to bring Obi-Wan Kenobi out into the world so that she can lure Darth Vader to her, make him vulnerable, and then uh, 
gain her revenge. I believe we've spoken in the past uh, in uh, Reva's potential ability to have some, maybe not foresight, but she can just have that greater sense of the galaxy and just sense that Darth Vader and Anakin are the same. Um, or, you know, it's not necessarily revealed how she knows other than... No, she's Force-sensitive and she witnessed him when he was already Darth Vader killing a bunch of... Yeah. Not in the black outfit, but having mm-hmm. already taken on the name and title. Right. So, yeah, it's it's a bit of a complex revenge plot uh, where Obi-Wan Kenobi is used as a tool, but by being kind of strung along, we get to see him confront that failure. I would say if the show has any flaws, we have a few too many moments of, oh no, Leia has been kidnapped again. Kenobi has to go save her. This is probably meant to be a movie, and it was stretched out into a series. Yeah, because there are really, yeah. really great moments in this series, particularly between Darth Vader, younger, angrier, recently traumatized Darth Vader, mm-hmm. and Obi-Wan Kenobi, his escape mentor. Obi-Wan, is revealed, did not know that Anakin had survived, as he had cut himself off from the Force and outside contact mm-hmm. with the Empire. He didn't get news. He deliberately kept himself in the dark so that he wouldn't be found to keep Luke safe. And so when one of the Inquisitors reveals that Darth Vader is alive, he immediately realizes that his pro- his pupil is alive and is still an active member of the Sith. Mm-hmm. And so then they have several confrontations throughout the series because Darth Vader pursues him doggedly. Mm-hmm. Um, we see Darth Vader unleashing just his massive power in the Force to literally rip a shuttle out of the sky. We see Obi-Wan frantically flee from him after being almost burned to death. Oh yeah, by having Darth Vader f- use the Force to shove him down into some coals. Yeah, until their final confrontation that ends in a Obi-Wan-leaning stalemate on a far-off planet where Obi-Wan reconnects with the Force and drives away his pupil. But after Obi- after Darth Vader delivers some chilling lines. So everything with Obi-Wan and Darth Vader in the show is great. Mm-hmm. The stuff with Leia is great. The connective tissue um, sometimes feels a little weak. A little, little padded, like this is... Isn't it convenient they happen to be in the same place? Mm -hmm. Um, But Ewan McGregor is always an Mm -hmm. exceptional actor and does the character justice. Aiden Christensen reprises the role of Darth Vader um, in Anakin Skywalker. um, When then James Earl Jones still does the voice when he's in the suit as Darth Mm -hmm. Vader. And there's some great special effects where the voice is fluctuating between James Earl Jones and Aiden Christensen. Or the voice modulator is malfunctioning, and uh, that is used to just an exquisite extent to show that Anakin is the uh, he and Vader are the same, and that he is responsible for choosing to be this evil being. Yep. And if you are also a fan of Fallen Order, we do see the Fortress of the Inquisitorius in the show that Kenobi tries to infiltrate. Um, and it is presumably because he infiltrates it that security is later tightened mm-hmm. when, by the time Cal Kestis arrives. So yeah, I would say, again, this is a piece of media for your hardcore Star Wars fan. Maybe your mid-level Star Wars fan who's like, oh, I recognize Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's not a bad show, it's just a, a little clumsier than previous attempts at Star Wars visual media. Yeah. So it takes us into our first miniseries of Star Wars fiction. That is Tales of the Jedi, which is sort of a surprise release um, in 2022, a six-episode miniseries in two parts, three episodes about Ahsoka Tano, three episodes about Count Dooku. Yeah, it's really a bookend to the Clone Wars because we get this lead-in 
to count Dooku's descent to the dark side, which is honestly, my opinion, necessary. I think that Dooku is one of the more undeveloped characters in the entirety of the series, and uh, having more representations of his personality on screen is beneficial. So being able to see him as a young Jedi Knight, a Jedi Master with his apprentice Qui-Gon, him as a Count who's already left the Jedi Order, uh, interacting with some particular members. Uh, I don't know, it, it, it's kind of the opposite of the Kenobi failure, or I shouldn't say failure, that's a bit harsh, but where Kenobi is a little bit too much fluff, uh, Tales, from, or Tales of the Jedi is just very precise in its delivery of characterization. Yeah, so we get these three episodes about Ahsoka, where mm-hmm. one before she's even recognized as Force-sensitive as a tiny child, mm-hmm. one about her tutelage under Anakin Skywalker. Like, just initial days of being Anakin's Padawan, where you get to see the the chronological incorrect haircut <laughs> that Obi-Wan Kenobi has. His hair sem- like somehow grew from the Clone Wars movie to this Tales of the Jedi episode, but that's the one flaw that I would say is with the show. And then we get the closing episode where we see her surviving Order 66 and moving on to this uh, alien colony. A final episode uh, that is sort of a cut-down version of how of the Ahsoka novel mm-hmm. sort of just hits the high points in a slightly different order and point of view. So almost like a fable or... Um, version of that story and you want to read a whole book about it very nice that it doesn't contradict anything else because i know there's been some it kind of contradicts it but you can make it work mentally if you work hard enough and then i would say the ahsoka arc is great but the dooku arc of three episodes is exceptional Mm -hmm. and those three episodes for dooku first we see him as a young jedi um, with being dispatched with his padawan qui-gon jinn to resolve a dispute during the late High Republic era where a official is abusing their authority. Yeah. Then we see him working with rigid Jedi Master uh, Mace Windu on another planet racked by uh, corruption. And then finally we see him after he's already left the Jedi Order but returning for the funeral of Qui-Gon Jinn and how he has already fallen under the sway of Darth Sidious. So I think this show works very well to uh, depict okay, here's a Jedi who is kind of at the the breaking point of uh, moving to the dark side. And each episode shows his uh, descent to the dark side very well in uh, not being able to enact his force and will in ways that he believes will solve situations but would be perceived as dark side. Uh, by then showing Ahsoka, we kind of uh, go all the way back to the beginning of just the dawn of becoming a Jedi, being recognized as one, training, how that training results in her competency and success. But then she's at the same breaking point that Dooku was at the start of Tales of the Jedi, where she could go light side or dark side, and she uh, eventually saves this village from an Inquisitor, uh, demonstrating her... She doesn't really save the village. Ah, well, she's <laughs> able to save herself from an Inquisitor and is able to take him out in just a, a few motions just because she is so skilled and she's able to take those crystals as her lightsabers after purifying them. 
Um, so I think it's just a great way of showing the the dichotomy between the the lost Jedi who goes down a path of darkness to the lost Jedi who goes down their own path, which some call being a gray Jedi. But uh, it's much like Visions is a great short view into the Star Wars universe, and specifically in this case, the backgrounds and personalities of two characters that are quite prominent in the universe. And uh, Ahsoka has had a lot of reflection on in the series, but like I said before, Dooku is it's never bad getting some more characterization for him. Yeah, the Dooku episodes tie in pretty well to Dooku Jedi Lost, uh, the audio drama that talks about his early life. Mm-hmm. And so this sh- fills in some of the gaps about his time as a Jedi Master and then also shows um, the bridges the gap between him leaving the Jedi Order to become Count of Sereno and then how he is drawn into the orbit of Darth Sidious to then be forced to become Darth Tyrannus. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's some of the Ahsoka side specifically directly ties into the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. It's almost like an addendum or an epilogue mm-hmm. or an extra series of episodes. The Dooku episodes would be great context for anyone who's even just watched the prequel movies mm-hmm. and provide more context for Dooku's character there. But they're gorgeously animated. Oh, yeah. This is the epitome of anything done in the Clone Wars. Where the Clone Wars does, it has a gradual uh, increase in quality as the show goes on, but this just takes it to the like highest heights in terms of their animation style. Yeah. So after Tales of the Jedi, this takes us to the most recently completed um, first season of a show, uh, Andor. Mm-hmm. And oh wow, yeah. And I don't even know if we want to reveal too much because this is something that's the public should see. This yeah. is for definitely for any Star Wars fan because it gives so much context into the, just the, not even the start of the rebellion because as you've mentioned before, the rebellion has been germinating and Andor serves as this character who, kind of like Din Djarin, has his own characterization, his own arc, his own motivations, but the his show is a showcase of how his interactions affect all of these other people within the Rebellion, the Empire, and the Galaxy at large. Not even in his direct day-to-day interactions, but how like single actions can have these great ripple effects elsewhere in the galaxy. Yeah, so I'll tell you what I can tell you about Andor. The main character is Cassian Andor, uh, who goes on to be one of the primary protagonists of Rogue One. Mm-hmm. This is how Cassian Andor, scrappy um, grifter, from the planet of Ferex ends up becoming Captain Cassian Andor in the Rebellion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is told in a series of th- um, th- two to three episode arcs that all tell a tightly plotted arc of story. And I'm not going to tell you anything more about that plot-wise. You just need mm-hmm. to watch it to see. But it is probably the best dialogue written for mm-hmm. anything Star Wars ever. Um, I'm not exaggerating. Uh, and visually... Cinematographically, it is peak Star Wars. You will not watch anything this good. Yeah, in terms of tone, it is uh, some of the darkest, most mature storytelling. I would say this aligns with a kind of a espionage thriller, just because of... Uh, Crime, espionage, drama, thriller. Prison movie. Uh, you know, it's all kind of within that crime 
underworld area. But still operating in the Star Wars universe and still doing important world building for how did the Empire get mm-hmm. so strong, but then how was their bureaucracy weakening them mm-hmm. and causing more and more people to turn to extremist measures to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. It shows it shows characters who, when the yoke of the Empire was later, were not willing to look up, uh, as Jin Ursa might have said in Rogue One, but then the final provocation that pushed them over the edge into from... Um, unwilling collaborator to instigating a rebellion. It's probably the only piece of Star Wars media without a lightsaber involved in some way. Uh, And uh, there's no Force user. We don't see Vader or the Emperor. I think the only other character that we get from Star Wars canon may be Mon Mothma and Bail Organa. And how they are involved in the early formation of the rebellion. And particularly Mon Mothma has her own. She's a secondary protagonist Mm -hmm. of this series as well. But if you like great dialogue, great character work, mm-hmm. and just want to see it all culminate in an exceptional season-long climax that you're building to, this is unlike The Mandalorian, which sort of meanders and explores. And if that's sort of like your um, you know, fun boat, Andor is like a dagger. It is striking with a point directly at mm-hmm. your unexposed heart and will make you bleed all over the place. <laughs> I don't think I can give it any more of a glowing review than that, but this is the other piece of media, along with Mandalorian, that you should really consider watching because it is uh, the closest representation to a Breaking Bad, a Sopranos uh, caliber of show in terms of the just the seriousness and the deafness of the storytelling. So that would definitely go... Uh, very high up on my ranking. I don't know if I would prefer, I don't know what I would call so far as my favorite. You have Rebels as your favorite. I really enjoy the Clone Wars so far just for its variety and how it fills the world of Star Wars. They all fill different voids in my heart, Connor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, oh, well. I think, though, if I had to pick a favorite Star Wars show, it's going to be one of the next two that we talk about. Not because she is Anakin Skywalker's daughter, but because she is the adopted daughter of Bail Organa, Senator of Alderaan.